All right, we're returning to 2 Samuel, to the story of David and Bathsheba, because it illustrates not one sin, but many, and it is a narrative that is compelling. We go there because Jesus taught us that adultery begins in the heart, that this is where we really sin, in the heart, inside. And so we're going to look at David, see if we can discern a little bit about his intention, his motivation, as we read today. And I'm in 2 Samuel 11, just to preview one evening, David was out on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. The story does not end there, of course. There's more to the drama. But this is enough to let us all know that David and Bathsheba does not begin as a love story. It's not about love. Not at the front. Not at the first. David does not intend to have a relationship with this woman. In fact, he does everything in his power to end any kind of relationship. Instead, he just wants her for the one-night stand. That's right, what lust is. Love is you caring for another person, entering into a relationship with them and journeying life together with them. 
Lust is you giving in to a passion, a longing, an intense desire that seeks to possess another person. Usually when we talk about lust, we're talking about that which is forbidden. Usually the word is used to describe an intense longing for something that is forbidden. A burning almost in the heart of someone for that which they cannot have, which is forbidden to them. All the way through here, I want us to think about love because love is our high calling. It is the center of God's mandate to us. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the summation of our responsibilities before God. So God has called us to a life of love. He has called us to himself. We are to focus on him. And God is our satisfaction. He is enough for us. He is all that we need. David wrote in one place, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. And that picture is the picture of a heart turned toward God. And God is to be enough. Our relationship with him is to rule. And if we are pursuing God with a whole heart and seeking to be his and seeking to know him and serve him with all that is within us, that is our greatest protection against these deadly sins, against the entanglements that bring us down. What we are reading about here is not just an entanglement with Bathsheba. But it is literally the end of David's good work and, and of the progress of his kingdom. Soon his family will turn upon him. Soon he is going to be responding to events in his life instead of campaigning and strategizing and taking new territory. All of a sudden he is beleaguered. After this we never find David again in the place he was before. He loses his reputation, his influence with people. Eventually, even the kingdom is stolen by one of his sons. He loses control of his life, really, through this event that blights his history. See, lust turns grace into disgrace. God does something wonderful for the shepherd boy. He lifts him to the throne of Israel. He gives him an army and a kingdom and people who will serve him. And this is the grace of God in David's life, and he ought to know it. So too, the gift of our sexuality is a grace from the Lord. It is a wonderful gift, a positive and beautiful thing. And we ought to celebrate that gift just as we celebrate all of God's good gifts. But David turns that grace into a disgrace through lusting after Bathsheba. He turns what is good into evil. There's a word for that in the Bible. It's the word iniquity. Sometimes sin in your life is falling short of God's goal for you. It's missing the mark. Sometimes sin in your life is breaking the boundaries. God clearly draws a line and you step over it. Sometimes sin in your life is taking what is good.
God's good gift and twisting it into something that is wrong and evil and destructive. And all three of those words are used to describe sin in the Bible. And this is David taking what is good and making a mess out of it. All of us should take a warning as we look at David's actions here and know that God's gifts of grace are to be enjoyed. They are wonderful and beautiful. They can make life full and meaningful. But they also can be abused and misused. And that's what happens with David and Bathsheba. Lust turns grace into disgrace. And lust turns us into me. Love's about you connecting to other people in meaningful ways. It's about you honoring them, respecting them as human beings, and caring for them. Love is about you sustaining those relationships, forgiving one another, and traveling together in life's journey. That's what love is about. Love, Paul says, does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You can detect love, lust in your life when you don't want the truth to come out, when you want to hide the truth. If you're rejoicing in something that is evil, that's brought somebody down, you need to check your heart because that's not love. In fact, if you go through 1 Corinthians 13 and you read about the qualities of love that the Apostle Paul lists, you will see that they are in contrast in every way with the actions and behavior of David and Bathsheba. David is doing what he wants. Truthfully, when he calls Bathsheba to his bed, there is no us about that. He's not trying to enter into a relationship. He's not trying to uh, make friendship. He's not caring for this person. It's evident from his actions after that when he calls Uriah in from the field and he, and he says, oh, Uriah, how are things going? And he smooths things over and makes small talk. He's just trying to get Uriah to make love to his wife so the baby can be claimed as his child. That's all. He doesn't want Bathsheba in his bed. He, doesn't, he didn't set out to have her in his life. This is all about him, not us. And lust is you using somebody to satisfy your passion. It's a selfish motivation. It tangles us up because it's so destructive. God is calling you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Sometimes when I talk about love, People in dialogue with me are saying, well, you got to love yourself, and it's true. You do need to love yourself. In fact, this week I saw somebody on television, a young woman looking in a mirror and saying, I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. She's trying to convince herself that she loved herself. Well, not everybody loves themselves. Some people hurt themselves. Some people even destroy themselves. And a healthy self-love is important to keeping the commandment. You're to love your neighbor as how? You love yourself. 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the second command is predicated on you loving yourself. And there's a healthy self-love that you need and ought to have. And if that's not in your life, you need to secure it through understanding that you are a child of the Father and the Father in heaven loves you and he values you so highly that he sent his only son to rescue you so you can be part of his family. And that's where you start with your self-esteem. That's where you start with your self-love. I love myself because God loves me and I am a child of the Father in heaven. But love of self does not preclude love of others. We are to love others as we love ourselves. Lust turns us into me by violating this. The scripture says that love does not dishonor the other. And there is dishonor in Bathsheba's life and in David's because of this sin. There are those who blame Bathsheba for what happened. In fact, there's a long commentary that I was reading about why this was Bathsheba's fault. The Bible doesn't say it is Bathsheba's fault. In fact, the Bible is silent on the motives and intentions of Bathsheba. David takes responsibility for this sin, and this sin is his in the Bible. There are always men who want to excuse their sexual behavior by saying, well, she was asking for it. That's probably one of the common answers that people give who are molesting children or, or uh, taking advantage of women. Well, they are asking for it. And somebody may say, well, Bathsheba was asking for it, but let me tell you about how God grades sin. If you're the king and you have power to send your troops and get somebody and bring them to your bed, you're at fault no matter what that woman is thinking. In fact, you are doubly sinful because you have abused the position of authority that you have over that person. And for every teacher in the room, for every CEO in the room, for every person in an organization who has authority over others, you remember this when lust grabs your heart and you want to use the position of authority you have to intimidate somebody below you to do wrong. You will be doubly guilty, not only of the sin, but of the abuse of power which is demonstrated in that sin. This is a gross abuse of power by the king. Mark it down. Love calls us to live life together, honoring and respecting one another. And lust reduces that to me and what I want. Lust turns us into me. And lust turns you into it. There are two ways we have relationships in this world, according to Martin Buber, who wrote I and Thou. There's a relationship of I, it. I relate to an object. I can move the object, kick the object, do anything I want to with it. It's an it. And there's the I-thou relationship. In that relationship, I respect and honor the other. 
I come into that relationship knowing that we live life together and we are to mutually protect each other. The I-Thou relationship understands that life has its greatest meaning in loving one another and caring for each other. And I should never, never treat a person like a thing. Lust turns you into it. It reduces people to things, to be used, manipulated, possessed, and conquered. And it is the opposite of love and the opposite of what God has commanded you to do with your neighbor and with one another. David takes this woman and he uses her and he sends her back home and really he doesn't want anything else to do with her. He has treated her like an it. We dehumanize people so we can justify using them. We take their humanity away and treat them as things. The fetus in the womb, the slave in the market, the dancer in the club. We look at them and we dehumanize them so we can use them for our own purposes. We can justify manipulating them, possessing them, and conquering them. Somebody will say, well, that stripper in the club has dehumanized herself. And truly, that could be. You can reduce yourself, you know, to just a piece of meat. You can see yourself that way, and you can treat yourself that way. If I respond to somebody who has that view of themselves, and I treat them like a thing and like a piece of meat, I have sinned. Do not participate in the dehumanizing of another human being, if, even if they are acting sinfully. For you join in their sin. And if you turn somebody into a thing and you use them for your own purposes, you not only dehumanize them and take their value and honor and respect away, you dehumanize yourself as well. You cannot treat people like things without seeing yourself as a thing. God didn't make you that way. You are made in the image of God. You are made to love others and enter into honorable relationships of mutual respect and trust. This is where life has its fullest meaning. And when you manipulate and you conquer, you abuse and misuse others, you bring yourself down as well. David does that here. We love to think of David sitting in the pasture, writing the Psalms, playing his harp. We love to think of David with a great faith to attack Goliath, and that was David. That is part of the story. For me, it is troublesome to visit this chapter in David's life. I don't want to think of him using Bathsheba 
calling Uriah in and saying, how's everything going? Playing this game with people. But the truth is, we do it too much. We do it all the time in all kinds of ways. And often it is an indication that the lust, the passion, the fiery desire in our heart has taken over our godliness and replaced it with lust. Watch out. Nothing so entangles you like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. James says this, this lust of the eye and lust of the flesh does not come from the Father. It comes from the world. And the Bible talks about the nobility of your perspective once you know Jesus, that you are to see things from a heavenly perspective. In fact, you remember when Jesus rebuked Peter on the uh, road to Philippi, and he, he said to Peter, you're seeing things from an earthly point of view. Get behind me, Satan. You're not seeing things like God wants you to see them. Well, lust distorts your view. Lust turns up into down. Paul says we have this upward calling in Christ Jesus. He says, set your mind on heavenly things. Think about these things that are noble and true and good. Put your mind here. If anything is of good report and virtuous, think on these things. Lift your mind up. And lust takes up and brings it down. Some people think that our sexuality should be viewed the same as that of the animals around us. And they see sex from below. That's how they see it. There are many things that we share with the animal kingdom. We know that. I have a sister-in-law who's a geneticist and a, and a researcher. She researches mice. And she said to me one day that the DNA of the mouse is 95% the same as the DNA of a human. And she runs what is called a knockout laboratory. They knock out a gene in the mouse's DNA, and then they see what happens to the litter. And they develop therapies to address those problems, and they apply them in human situations. So, hey, our common uh, space and features with the animal world are self-evident, okay? But listen to this. God made all the animals, and then he made man, and this is what he said. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God made man in his own image. This is Genesis 1.27. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now see, the image of God is mentioned in the very first chapter when men are first mentioned that men are made in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. And the only commentary on the image of God is this, male and female created he them. Well, if you think about it, 
And if you wanted to, if your heart was drawn that way, you could look at your sexuality from above instead of from below. You could see it as part of the image of God in you, could you not? You could see it as implying that you are made for one another, that you, you communicate together, that you live life together. You could see relationship all tied up in your sexuality. You could see it as part of the great character of God, that God loves and he pours his life out toward another. And your sexuality is an evidence of that. And it's part of the reason that God says, I'll make you in my image. That's understanding sex from above. And if you understand it from above, that God has given this wonderful gift that expresses his own character and his nature in you, then you operate in love in your sexuality. You express yourself in godly and holy ways that are consistent with his word. And you see yourself as having this great gift that God has given and desiring to experience and express it in the Lordship of Christ. Now, if your sexuality, if you see it from below, well then maybe you just do like the animals do. And no sense of the moral code, no sense of the word of God addressing your sexuality. You know, that's out there in the culture. That's out there in the culture. The culture's saying, do whatever you want to. It's your body. I'm telling you, you can do whatever you want to. David did what he wanted to. This is in the Bible for you to look at, see what happened to him, see what happened to Bathsheba, and when you get the temptation, and you will, have the strength and the godliness and the perspective to say, no, I'll not go that way and tear up my life and the life of the people I love. I'm not going there. That's why it's here. It's here to help you love your neighbor instead of lusting after him or her. It's here to help you see that the perspective from heaven is the truth. And if you live in that perspective and see yourself and your sexuality from above, from the perspective of God and the image of God, then you will seek to preserve the holiness and purity and beauty of the gift God has given you. I wear this ring. It is a declaration of a covenant I made many years ago. David refuses to respect that covenant when he brings Bathsheba to his bed. But brothers and sisters, I urge you and I beg you, you respect the covenant of marriage with your coworkers and your friends, those you socialize with, you respect the covenant of marriage. Do not violate that covenant. That person is off limits to you if they're in a covenant relationship and it is sin to violate that covenant. That is the technical word adultery. It is having sex with somebody with whom you are not married. Somebody else's spouse. We live in a day when people disregard the ring and the covenant. 
And do you know, we have brought terrible trouble on ourselves as a society and a generation. It is time for we who call Jesus Lord and seek to live by his word to say, in my sex life, I will follow God's ordinance. I will obey his word and I will live in love as he's commanded me to live. Don't turn up into down. Don't turn people into things. Don't turn the beautiful us into me and mine. Don't turn God's wonderful grace into disgrace. I wish I could tell you, hey, David sinned, that was the end of it, no more problem. Not so. Chapter 13 follows hard on the story of David and Bathsheba. And it's about one of David's sons, Amnon, who burned in desire for his half-sister, Tamar. He wanted her so badly that he just looked sick. He couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. His servant said to him, Amnon, what's wrong with you? Oh, he just, he couldn't live without her. He just couldn't live without her. So finally, he developed this scheme, and he had Tamar brought to his bed of affliction. And there, he took her and possessed her as his own. And the scripture says, after he satisfied this fierce burning in his soul for his half-sister Tamar, after he had raped her, he despised her. He despised her. He wanted nothing to do with her. She said, you've ruined me. At least take me. No, get away from me. That is the picture of lust. And it is part of the outcome of David's sin with Bathsheba that in his own household, Amnon followed his example in taking what was not his. Who knows what the end result will be when we surrender to the impulse of the moment instead of holding to the command of love. Who knows who will be touched and affected and what lives might be destroyed when we say yes to what we clearly know is forbidden. Now, I started this series by saying the grace of God covers all. And I want to say it again. No matter how awful the sin of David is, when you read about it, and it makes your skin crawl. Hear this. God forgave this man. God forgave him. Why? Because God's grace is deeper than all our sin. We have grace that is greater than all our sin. And for some of us, it's not the problem of lust, but the problem of being unable to forgive ourselves that keeps us from our highest calling. And so God is calling us to walk in his grace to receive his forgiveness. We have a God who is full of grace and mercy. He loves to restore. 
Sometimes we think, I've messed up so bad, God doesn't want anything to do with me, there's nothing I can do about it. Not true, not true. God is using people every day, people all around you in this room who have messed up in all kinds of awful ways and they have received his forgiveness and he has brought them back into his presence and into a vibrant relationship with him and he is using them for his glory. And he wants you back at his table, back in the family, not as a second-class citizen because of your sin, but as fully restored sons and daughters of the Most High God. Your sin cannot keep you from the Savior unless you let it. If we confess our sin, He is willing and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, God, we are sinners. Lord, we mess up so badly and sometimes we think, why do you even bother with us? God, we're so grateful for your love and your mercy. And we stand in that every day, including this day. I pray for someone in this room who feels so condemned by past behavior. Lord, that they might experience the freedom and liberty of true forgiveness. Lord, that you might straighten their shoulders and lift their chin and let them walk again in courage and confidence. Father, I pray that our forgiveness will be a present reality in our lives, that when we leave this room as brothers and sisters in Christ, we will know the slate is clean that you have cleansed us from head to foot, everything under the blood. God, thank you for that amazing and wonderful truth that you forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, bring your people back. Brothers and sisters, bring them back. Bring them to the foot of the cross. Bring them to the grace of the Lord Jesus. Bring them to the love of the Father. God, I pray if we are contemplating anything outside of your will, that your Holy Spirit would put his finger upon it and that we would know, God, we can't go there. Lord, use this time for your glory. Help our answers to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.